Welcome to Annabur Spark CEO Podcast, Conversations on Economic Opportunity. My name is Paul Kretko, and I'm the President and CEO of Annabur Spark. Annabur Spark is a public private partnership of business, government, and academic institutions working to advance the economy of the Ann Arbor region. Welcome to a series of continuing conversations with key leaders from those sectors. And joining me today, I'm very honored, we're very, very pleased to have this opportunity. It's Ken Fisher, who's the president of the University Musical Society. And uh, we want to just thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come in and talk to us. Well, Paul, you might remember, you know, we, we, I think I was your second uh, one a while ago. Uh, you had Mary Sue Coleman. And then uh, do you think I liked the fact that Ann Arbor Sparks' new president said, Ken, the arts are important. We're going to have you speaking to us. Now that you've invited me back, when I'm doing my spawn song, I appreciate it. Well, well, you know, Ken, uh, you've been in Ann Arbor working for UMS for over 30 years. And dating myself, uh, if this was this is your life, uh, what would we learn, and who who would be your, the guests? <laughs> well, what would you learn? You know, I I uh, so you'd like me to say a few words about me sure, and who absolutely. I am. Well, first of all, I was very fortunate to grow up in this area. You know, I'm, I'm a kid, grew up in Plymouth, Michigan, really? and Ann Arbor, of course, was the place you'd come for sure. music lessons football games. I mean, we'd, we'd come over, on, you know, from Plymouth, drive on Getty's Road, take uh, French horn lessons right over here uh, at the corner of uh, Huron and State. Wow. That's where the School of Music was. Well, I'd take French good. horn lessons. And then we'd finish our lessons in, in time enough to go to the Michigan game. Okay. And, uh, you know, they used to have band day back there where 195 bands from all over the state would come. Uh, you know, Don Canham hadn't yet sold every seat so there were a lot of a lot of seats so high school bands could come and sit and watch the game and then they'd play on the field and i recall back in 1958 meredith wilson was here the the guy who wrote the music man and sure. he conducted 1076 trombones wow. uh, on the field i was just a freshman in high school but boy what a what a memorable mm -hmm. event and uh, you know if, Three years later, I found myself at Interlochen, and I met a young woman from the same town that Meredith Wilson grew, uh, grew up in, okay. Mason City, Iowa, okay. and she actually knew Meredith Wilson. He was a flute player. You know, he played with the New York Philharmonic, and he would take Penny out of school and go to the various service clubs, and they'd play flute duets and so on. So that woman I met in 1961 at Interlochen, we've been married 50 years. Wow. Um, so I was very lucky to, uh, to meet a woman who came from that kind of a community where music was right at the heart of what they did. Um, you know, I grew up in a family where music was highly valued. Neither of my parents was, uh, was a professional musician, but they valued both the intrinsic and uh, instrumental value of music. They saw it as a good thing. We took lessons over here in Ann Arbor, and then we all went to Interlochen as mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. And boy, that our state has a resource like that has transformed the lives of thousands and thousands of uh, young people from all over the world who've had the opportunity to be there. And uh, what a great experience that was. And then I went to the College of Worcester in Ohio, studied religion, thinking I'd be uh, you know, a college chaplain. And uh, that, that didn't work out, but I, I loved the idea of being on a college campus. So I came here for four years, 66 to 70, and studied higher education, thinking I'd be a college administrator. Then Jackson State and Kent State hit uh, in 1970, 
President Nixon said, "We this is terrible. We, you know, we have our young people actually shooting their contemporaries on college campus. Something's, something's not right about this. So we formed the President's Commission on Campus Unrest, 1970. I said to my wife, Penny, that's where I belong. So I, I should be part of that commission staff. And so I became part of that commission staff and never came back to Ann Arbor until, you know, 17 years later. Um, I got so wrapped up in what was going on in Washington that uh, Penny and I stayed there for 17 years. We had our one and only child there in 1973, Matt. And uh, it was in 1983 that I did my first concert. I rented the hall at the Kennedy Center. You know, I, I didn't have much experience, well, but I want to do that. Well, I wanted to hear this particular group. It's called the King Singers from sure. England. Oh, yeah. Six guys that sing a cappella. They were all, you know, trained in the English boy choir tradition. Mm -hmm. And nobody wanted to present them in, in Washington. The big presenters at the Kennedy Center, Washington Performing Arts, they said, nah, who's interested in that? I said, well, you know, I, th I think they'll be successful. So I went and sat down with the woman uh, who, who, you know, gives out the uh, the dates. And I said, my name's Ken Fisher. I'd like to rent the hall. And she said, who are you? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, I'm a guy that wants to rent the hall. And she said, well, you know, your priority isn't real high here. And I said, well, who else has priorities? Well, the National Symphony, the Cathedral Choral Society, the this and the that and the Washington. And then I said, well, how does that translate to dates available? She said, for you, kid, Mondays in February. Well, she was saying that to discourage me. No, nobody goes out on Mondays in February. And I said, well, what Mondays do you have available? And she said, well, I got the 7th and the 14th. You got the 14th of February available? That's Valentine's wow. Day. You know what? I Half my marketing is done. Nobody goes alone. Book me in there. And she said, eh, just a minute. I, I need $10,000 before we can talk. And um, I didn't have 10. I didn't have five. I didn't have three. And I looked at her and... I asked, well, well, tell me about you. And she said, well, what does that have to do with anything? And I learned a lesson. You know, it's okay to take an interest in somebody else. Right. And she softened up and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm new at this too. Uh, I just came down from Dartmouth College. My, my husband and I got a divorce, and I'm starting afresh here. And I said, you didn't have to know my little brother Norman up at Dartmouth. Norman? Your brother is Nor Norman Fisher is your brother? I, I, I love your brother. Do you have 2500 bucks? That's the absolute minimum. I said, I can come up with 2500 And so, Paul, what, I, what happened, I did my first show. Over the next four years, I did 14 performances. Had my hits, had misses, but I came to love it. I really enjoyed performing arts presentation. Then my wife, Penny, and our son, who at that time was in junior high, sat me down one night and said, Pops, there, we need more stability and security in this household. You, you, you have a consulting business right now. We know how that income goes up yeah. and down. Now you're, now you're in the arts, Dad. We know what that's like. And uh, get a job. Get a real job. And I heard them, and I said, okay, but it's got to be a job that has a measure of risk. It's got to be fun. Mm -hmm. And that's when UMS opened up in Ann Arbor in 1980. Six, they put out the announcement for a job that would start the 1st of uh, June, 1987. I applied, and, I, and, and in a moment of weakness, this board said, we'll take this kid with very little experience. He'd had some, he'd had some hits in, in Washington. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I got to tell you, Paul, it, it's just been the, the greatest marriage of, of an interest in a background in higher education and a love of the arts. And to be at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, it's just been wonderful. Well, and I think one of the things that talks about your evolution from that kid taking a job here was the fact that, you know, you had the honor of, of being at the White House and having the president uh, present you um, that award. Uh, and talk about that experience a little bit. Well, what's interesting is that, that that was the third time I was at the White House. The first time was in 1962. I was a kid at Interlochen, and President Kennedy had invited us to come and perform August 6, 1962, and I played in the French horn section. There were 117 of us, 103 kids in the orchestra, 14 dancers, and what a thrill that was. And to be with Kennedy, and um, you know, he, he gave a four-minute speech at, that I've, I've got on my computer. It's just fantastic. He talked about the importance of symphony orchestras in the country and uh, applauded us for our hard work. And then he said, so what are you kids doing for lunch? We, we didn't know. He said, come on over to the Rose Garden. We'll, we'll talk about your lunch. So we're over there, and he says, I, I want you to have lunch here, and, and it's going to be spaghetti. You'll pick it up at the state dining room, and you don't want to get spaghetti in the green room or the blue room. or the. You just take it down to the, the, the east room and sit on the floor. So Paul Krutko, guess who I had lunch with on the floor of the east room of the White House? Kathy McNamara on my left, the daughter of the Secretary of Defense, okay. and Peggy Rusk on my right, the daughter of the Secretary of State, and they were our hosts. These were our contemporaries. These were kids my same age. What a thrill that was. So that, that was the first time. Second time was when my wife, Penny, um, well, a little background. She was at the, she, she knows Jean-Pierre Paul. They had took lessons from him in summer 1972 in Nice, France. And Paul uh, was uh, going to turn 60. And he came to the Kennedy Center to conduct the National Symphony. And Penny and I got into cahoots with some uh, flutists. And Penny organized 70 flutists to be in the lobby of the Kennedy okay. Center. And so we came with, with Ron Paul through the house. When that door opened into the lobby of the Kennedy Center, 70 flutes played Happy Birthday and gave him a little recital. Unbeknownst to us, that was in January of 1981. Unbeknownst to us, the Social Secretary of the White House was standing there listening to this. And around Thanksgiving, that, that woman, Linda Faulkner, called our home and said, Penny, that was beautiful music. Would you mind organizing a flute ensemble to play for President Reagan's Christmas uh, holiday party for the cabinet and senior staff? And Penny said, that sounds great. And I said, honey, you need a manager yeah, to manage absolutely. that. And so uh, 16 flutists plus Penny plus me went to the White House uh, in 1982. And then more recently, I must say, the thrill of getting that call. Uh, Ken, I don't know what you're up to on September 10th of 2015, but I think you ought to come to the White House and receive on behalf of UMS the National Medal of Arts, the highest award the government gives uh, to artists, arts patrons, arts organization. You think you can make it, <laughs> and but you got to keep it quiet. You can't tell anybody. And what a thrill that was, Paul, to represent really the entire community of Ann Arbor. This is an institutional award recognizing 138 years of UMS. 
its contributions to the community, and the amazing support we've had from the university, the community, from our organization, and to receive it from President Obama, along with, you know, Sally Field was there, mm -hmm. and uh, Stephen King, the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation, Ping Chong, uh, Meredith Monk, they were part of that class. Mm -hmm. It was actually the uh, 2014 class, but the White House ran a little bit late, so we actually got the award in 2015. But I must say that was certainly one of the highlights of my time here. But let's, let's be clear that it was a recognition of an organization that uh, has evolved uh, over 138 years. It's the oldest of its kind in the country. Um, it has this unique relationship with the university in that it's both uh, it, it's deeply affiliated and connected to the university, but it's a 501c3 organization. And I think it's the recognition of the university that, um, you know, w w we want you deeply connected with us, but we want to give you a sense of academic freedom, of uh, artistic freedom, um, we don't want to get in your way. Um, uh, do the best you can be and uh, don't embarrass us. But what it was was a freedom to be entrepreneurial. Yeah, and the support. I mean, part of it is it's, it's, it's not dissimilar. I mean, we, it's been around, you've been around, the organization's been around as long as you've said, but it's not dissimilar to the approach the university took with Spark, which was, look, you know, we want to support the growth of the economy in this community, we want to we want to jumpstart entrepreneurial activity, but we want to be a part of that, and we want to give the organization freedom to do that. So, as I described in the opening, when we're talking about before we before we started our talk, we talk about how we're a public-private partnership of that includes the academic sector, and I think it's really wise that the university is taking that approach. Well, let me take you a different place because it's something we talk about all the time, you and I, and. I think it's an important message for our listeners, and I think it's a reason why we're 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 having the the economic success that we have in the community. Obviously, we all know about the Indian University, but one of the things is the importance of arts and culture today on place, um, on on creating an environment where people want to come to work because of the importance of the arts. And I know you, that's something you really believe in, I really believe in. Talk a little bit about your perspectives on that. Well, you know, the the people come to the arts in all kinds of, of different ways. Uh, some, you know, take lessons on the French horn. Some, you know, have uh, been dancing all their life in front of a TV and uh, they become they become dancers. You know, we, ha we have, we all have a creative impulse. And um, one of the things that's great about this, this community, it has recognized that that should be cultivated, mm -hmm. that should be encouraged. And so, you know, you look at our, our high schools, these are Grammy award-winning schools uh, where the nation has come to, um, to identify, respect, and reward this community for the for the emphasis it gives to the arts, the opportunity that our young people here are going to have to to uh, develop those impulses, mm -hmm. and uh, and whether they become professional musicians or not is is really less important. But when I think of um, of the people in in my organization right now, some you know were trained as musicians, but 
music, dance, and theater have influenced their their lives. They have freed the the mind of these people to be as creative as possible. And I think that's that's really what we want to be celebrating is uh, those that have exposure and a deep connection to the arts um, tend to be more creative. Um, they tend to be more focused. Uh, we have a program, for example, called Medical Arts in which the we connect with um, medical students and residents at the University of Michigan. And the thesis is the more uh, connected they can be as medical students at the University of Michigan, the more connected to the arts they can be, the better docs they'll be. They'll be better listeners. They'll be better diagnosticians. They'll have better bedside manner. And you know what? This program is in its ninth or tenth year, and they have all the evidence that that's the case. They've, they've been able to work with UMS in, um, uh, in, in our music, dance, and theater, but they've also worked with the Museum of Art and uh, the literary community. So in these three areas, literary, visual, and performing arts, we know that it has a real impact on, on these medical doctors. But then you look at the, the creative industry, uh, the tech community that's, that's coming in here, not only are they attracted, I think, to uh, the quality of life considerations for the arts, and let's not diminish that role. Uh, people are attracted to a, a community that, that highly values the arts, but what does it mean to be in a community where, uh, that, that, that celebrates creativity mm -hmm. and that recognizes that uh, entrepreneurial ac activity is going to be enhanced when you have uh, fresh ideas being exchanged, when uh, there's a lot of back and forth. And when you think of you know, the kind of training people get when they're playing in an orchestra or when they're in a theatrical production, that's one of the reasons my folks wanted us to, to be involved in music. It's great for teamwork. Yeah. Uh, it's great for listening. It's great for collaboration. All of these things are, are to be celebrated in a community like ours. And I would also say, you know, what, what a thrill it's been to have colleagues, you know, like Russ Collins at the Michigan Theater, Mary Steffick Blasky, Mel Drum uh, down at the uh, Hands-On Museum, Deanna Relier, uh, and, and all of this rich and vital community where collaboration, working together, has been right at the heart of what's been successful for us. And I think you know, a study was done a few years ago that the... Uh, the arts community in, in the Ann Arbor area is a $100 million industry. Roughly half of that is what we as arts organizations spend. The other half of that are what our audiences are spending mm -hmm. on restaurants, on lodging, uh, and, you know, the artists visiting, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, parking and uh, food and, you know, all this that relates to what it is with that hundred million. And when, when we shared that with people, it's like a gasping. That's a big and powerful industry. And um, I also think, Ken, you know, the thing that it does too is it, 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 it for my side of the, the world or my, my bailiwick, um, it's really important in terms of uh, attracting companies and, and keeping companies in a region. I'm not going to name the communities involved, but there there have been major corporations who have made headquarter locations, and some communities have gotten rejected because the 
executives and their spouses who are very important as decisions say the cultural offerings in that community are not what we want for our, ourselves or or for our family or for our workforce and they make a decision to go someplace else and i think one of the things that's been a real attribute for us is that we can point to this this community having those assets uh, as as a reason that you would want to be here well I, I need to talk about one example that is just, it, it just made all the difference in the world. It's 2006, Spark is relatively new, um, and the Royal Shakespeare Company is going to be coming uh, to Ann Arbor with uh, Patrick Stewart, Harriet Walters, some great British actors, and we see the opportunity. Spark, tech transfer at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor Convention Visitors Bureau, and UMS what an opportunity this would be if we could join forces with MEDC and and bring some company representatives here looking to locate or relocate their businesses. And with this team effort, we brought 10 companies in for a long weekend and we combined Shakespeare and Michigan football. And then we also had Phil Powers home available to us. He was the vice chair of MEDC at the time. The University of Michigan made Inglis House available. Mm. We went to the old Earl Uptown. We treated these folks to a first-rate experience. And you know what the heart of it was, was the arts, uh, academics, uh, sports, and introducing them to the climate for entrepreneurship, venture capital, and so on. Two companies, as a result of that, chose to locate here. That made MEDC feel really good. And you know what, Paul? Working together again, Spark and UMS, three other MEDC grants came in. One in 2012 when UMS remounted Einstein on the Beach mm -hmm. in a U.S. exclusive here before it went out around the world. And why, why did we fight so hard to get that? Because we, we, we did a couple of things. One, we said, if you're going to remount a great opera like this, do it on a college campus where students, faculty, and the community can benefit from its being here. But the other thing we did, we told this company, we're not going to pay you a fee. We're going to cover all your expenses. And we're going to cover all the expenses of the stagehands. So we could go to relatively new governor, Rick Snyder, and Mike Finney, you know, your predecessor to the MEDC, and say, every dime you give us stays in Michigan. Well, that became a convincing argument, and we had success there. Then when Hill Auditorium turned uh, 100 mm -hmm. in 2013, here's one of the iconic buildings that brought artists from all over the world. We got a little grant for that. And then more recently, the Berlin Philharmonic comes in residence in Ann Arbor. And Paul, you know, they don't go to any other small town. They don't go to any other university. They come here. A little bit of a story I need to tell you. Their conductor, Sir Simon Rattle. So I'm picking the guy up at Willow Run. The charter flight comes in. I'm going to drive him into uh, the Graduate Hotel. And I say to him, do you know what an honor is... Uh, Sir Simon, to have you here in Ann Arbor. He goes, Ken, excuse me, you don't know. He says, I became a conductor here, and within the first couple of months, we're deciding where we're going on our North American tour, and the orchestra says, excuse me, we begin with Ann Arbor. That's yeah. what we know we're going to do, and then we'll figure out the other cities, and that was reinforced by two others. What, what a statement about our community, about what it means to these great ensembles coming here. And uh, if I might just, because the, the president of the Berlin Philharmonic 
one day after his appearance, the orchestra's appearance here, wrote me an email. He said, you know, of all the towns uh, in, uh, on this international tour, yours is the one we like the best, and here's why. You're the smallest town, but you deliver the largest crowd. Number two, you let us play Schoenberg, this composer that everybody else is afraid of. Three, we look out in the audience, and we saw students everywhere. And finally, Ken, hospitality. What do you call it? Midwest hospitality? Starting with that letter in German on the bed of every member of my orchestra, plus the Zingerman's box and the other things that you provided. You know, Ken, you know what the other cities on the tour were? Moscow, Bonn, Paris, London, New York, Washington, Boston, and Chicago, and of all those cities, here's the one we like the best. So that's why they keep coming yeah, back. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that, that the audience knows, because we talk about it regularly, those who listen regularly, is that uh, one of our, our significant attributes right now is that we are very attractive to foreign investment as a community. Over half of the projects the last couple of years have been that, and there's significant German investment. And we know that those companies were, were excited about the Philharmonic being here and, and attending. So just a couple more questions and, and so we can, can uh, uh, acknowledge a couple other points. Um, you you uh, have received many awards, as we've already talked about, and we're, we're honoring you as uh, our volunteer of the year and Arbor Sparks annual meeting this year. What do you, what do you attribute um, your success to, and what advice do you give to fellow business leaders uh, about how to be successful? Are there a couple takeaways that you you think are important? Well, you know, I I was asked um, uh, to to write a little one pager, you know, on uh, on principles of leadership. Mm -hmm. So, and and a couple of those that I thought were particularly important was uh, you know sort of borrowing from Tom Peters. Um, book of um, 30 years ago was management by walking around. Mm -hmm. Get out of the office. Get into the community mm -hmm. that you live in. And when I think of all the relationships we have now from Dascola Barbershop, who's got a shrine to Cecilia Bartoli, to almost every restaurant in, in, in our area where we have a relationship, where they recognize we, we're, we're in a collaboration. We bring people to that, uh, to, to, to nights, to Sabas, mm -hmm. to uh, Red Hawk, um, you name it, we've got some kind of a partnership uh, with it. A lot of that began with just walking around, getting to know people. I think another one uh, that's really stood the test of time for me are the four principles of partnership that we, we practice. Cooperation and communication, those are, those are at the heart of it. But vulnerability and reciprocity. And vulnerability means you, you, you approach uh, your relationships with others with a bit of humility and curiosity. Not that you know it all. You really want to learn. And then reciprocity is uh, making sure that those you're working with are gaining as much from the uh, partnership uh, as, um, as you are. I must say that... Um, I always appreciated from the very beginning of Spark that um, uh, the leadership recognized that the, ro the role that the arts play in this community and invited us to be at the table. And to be a member of the executive committee here for almost the entire duration of, uh, of, of Spark's history meant so much. Um, because, of course, I was learning 
who, who else was at the table from government mm -hmm. and from our business uh, community, other nonprofit sector. And then, of course, the, the amazing leadership that Spark has provided, you know, as, as uh, Rick Snyder was uh, one of its founders, along with the University of Michigan, and then um, uh, Mike Finney in its leadership, succeeded by, by you. I also look at how fortunate we've been with the four chairs that we've had. Rick, and then followed by a University of Michigan vice president for research, uh, Stephen Forrest, who's, who's now my board chair. Right. But then we had, you know, uh, Tim Marshall from the Bank of Ann Arbor. And now we have another university person uh, of, of high ranking, you know, and great influence in Cynthia Wilbanks. Mm -hmm. And that marriage of town and gown has worked uh, so well uh, for us. So I'm I'm. I'm just feeling so fortunate, one, to have been able to be a, a part of it. And uh, then I think the other thing that has so, so impressed me is when, when, when Pfizer 10 years ago said, you know, we're, we're going to be leaving. Well, of course, that was devastating to a lot of us. I mean, Pfizer had been the greatest contributor to UMS uh, as, as the largest private company. But you know what our town did? We responded. Spark, the University of Michigan, uh, and and the state, and uh, I'm trying to think of what the other the other entity uh, was. But what what I'm recalling was the key role of Spark mm -hmm. in. And what did we do? We mobilized. We all worked together. We got these little committees mm -hmm. uh, working. So how did we respond from here? You know, we were sad for a day. Then we then we got down. We uh, we we dug in in our heels, and we said we're gonna we're gonna have this thing coming out better than it was before. And you know what? Isn't that something? How NCRC North Campus Research Complex, how that's thriving up there. The relationship with the university and the community, I don't think, has been uh, any better. And you look at the companies that are that we're attracting, and the the vibrancy of the arts yeah, community. And I think he, going back to our earlier message. That, that we were sharing with each other, which was we know that many people that worked for Pfizer uh, at the time that happened said, you know what, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to figure out something else to do. And the children, the company children of Pfizer are numerous now. But part of the reason, I think, that I attribute to that they said we wanted to stay is the kind of quality of life we feel here. Well, I, I need to close out because sure. we could go on four hours. Um, I want to give you a chance to talk about the future a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, you, you, you definitely are proud of the organization you've built. You know what's happening in the arts community. So maybe to close out, tell us a little bit about where you see the arts going here. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you'd like to tell us a little bit about what happens next at UMS, uh, sure. you could share that as well. Well, you know, I, th I, think, I think it's a vibrant uh, arts community here. And at the heart of it is, is collaboration. We have uh, something called the Arts Alliance. Deb Pollack um, uh, oversees that. And once a month, we have the Cultural Leaders Forum, where the heads of the various arts organizations get together, and we share information, we celebrate each other's achievements. And that is so unusual, because normally it's a very competitive kind of thing. But we, we've learned over the years that, you know, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, the more we can, we can help each other. So I'm optimistic. I think there are probably some venues that we should think about how we can, uh, how we can support 
there's probably a need for a big black box space, some some place that can not only be a home for the most creative artists in the country. When we remounted Einstein on the beach here, the word got out with the most creative artists, in, not just in the country, but around the world. Ann Arbor would be a dynamic place to create. We just need to have the space mm. for that to happen. Hill Auditorium could use some expansion. You know what they did with at, at Carnegie Hall? Uh, they did four things. They, they built, they had a backstage that they needed to create, space for offices, space for education activities, and space for social activities. Right now, Hill doesn't have mm-hmm. any of those. And, um, you know, it, it's noticed by the visiting orchestras and others. But how wonderful will it be after a performance for me to say to, uh, you know, Paul Krutko and, and your wife, hey, how about you and Penny and I get together and let's have a little chat here. Yes. Right now, they got to throw us out to go to, uh, you know, a watering yeah, yeah, hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I know, you, you know that sort of my journey around the country, I was a longtime uh, Cleveland resident, uh, season ticket holder to the orchestra. You know, Severance went through a significant revamp that did add right. those things. It was another hall that was really constrained by its, it, you well, know, its we, development. We, we need to look at that. And then, you know, we need this community to really um, figure out ways to continue to make sure that all the or- organizations are going to be vibrant. Um, we do an amazing job with a relatively small community supporting uh, the arts. But, you know, there are those communities like San Francisco and others that have said we really value it, and they found a way. It's through, you know, hotel tax mm-hmm. or, uh, or some way. Uh, and Minnesota has been very successful in tying art support to water. And uh, that's given a huge infusion uh, because Minnesotans have said the arts are important. And if they're important here in Ann Arbor, we might want to explore that, that prospect. And let me just say about UMS, we, we had one of our best years ever last year. And I'm so proud of our board of directors uh, who for the past year have been uh, searching for my successor. They found Matthew Van Beeson, currently president of the New York Philharmonic, formerly at Melbourne Orchestra in Australia, and then before that in Houston. And this guy is fantastic. He's from the Midwest, went to Indiana University, year, year at Interlochen during the summer, and he plays the French horn. And, and I, we have that in common, all four of those things. But he's been here a couple of times. The community is just thrilled. He starts uh, the day after I finish. I'm wrapping it up June 30, 2017. Matthew comes on board. And um, in fact, uh, Steve Forrest, who's been my chair and done a great job for us, especially leading this mm-hmm. search effort, he'll be succeeded by Sarah Nicoli. And uh, so you have in Sarah and in, uh, in Matthew, another generation, a younger yeah. generation of leadership. I couldn't be more excited. Yeah. And boy, what an honor it's been to uh, be involved with you and with Spark uh, during the past 10 years. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Ken. I, Little my last story maybe to leave. I do tease, um, I do tease Steve because um, Steve was chair of Spark and you were involved on the search that ended up me taking this position. So I tell Steve we trained him well so he could manage another search process well, it, it, of this magnitude. That's one of the reasons, you know. I I participated mm-hmm. in what was one of the most um, uh, comprehensive. And engaging searches and well-organized. This was in the back of my mind when I knew 
that would be one of the responsibilities of Steve Forrest in his two years as chair of, U, of UMS. And do you love a guy who, when he decides to have a family reunion with his three kids and their spouses, we're going to meet in Brooklyn and go see a five-hour opera called Einstein on the Beach. That's Steve, <laughs> That's Steve for That's sure. That's great. Yep. Yeah, well, good. Ken, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming in today, but also thanks for everything you've done for the community. You're welcome. Thank you, Paul. And I want to thank our audience for listening and learning more about those leaders and organizations who are working hard to create the Ann Arbor region's economic future. These conversations are brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark. Ann Arbor Spark is a public-private partnership of business, government, and academic institutions working to advance the economy of the Ann Arbor region. For more information about Spark, you can find us on the web at annarborusa.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. For more information about UMS, it's real simple. It's umss.org.